This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Refocus. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Friday. Thank God. May 10th, 2023. No, it's not. It's episode 810469. We're live. May 5th, 2023. The word of the day is refocus. That's what we're doing. When we tell you as an executive that we're going to refocus, that doesn't happen after we win a championship. It happens when we don't. It happens when we have failed. The Milwaukee Bucks lost in five games to the Miami Heat in the first round of the NBA playoffs. The number one seed, best record, favorite to win the title. Gone, because Jimmy Butler has the series of his life. And all of a sudden, here we are, we're not even through the second round. We're not even at game three of the second round. And the Milwaukee Bucks fired Budenholzer yesterday. The coach who won the championship with the Bucks only two years ago, fired. When it came across my phone, I was thinking about the interview we did with Max Strauss on the Lebetard show. When they were questioning the coaching moves, wondering why he wasn't using his timeouts, why he didn't call certain plays, do certain things. How could he have presided over an upset like this? Should he lose his job? Will he lose his job? Great for media to speculate. But the front office is not the media. The front office, you're not a fan. You look at this coaching job and you say to yourself, we want to fire him because we wanted to fire him whether we beat the Heat or not. If the Milwaukee Bucks fired Budenholzer for the sole reason that they did not beat the Heat, then the Milwaukee Bucks are in trouble. And you can have Haslam come in for 25%, which he is. You can have Aaron Rodgers dating the daughter of the owner. You can do whatever you want. I'm good with any of it. But if you think you're going to have a successful franchise that makes decisions the way I used to, which was based on recency bias and emotion, and it's got to be the manager's fault, you are going to lose consistently. So let's talk about how the Milwaukee Bucks would come to this decision. Did they watch the show? Did they read articles saying, wow, I guess he should have used the timeout. I guess he should have called a play. I guess he should have gotten more of our players. We should have figured out a way to defend Butler. We should have listened to Giannis and had Giannis on Butler more because Giannis said he wanted to be on Butler more, but Giannis wants to be respectful and not say anything. Give me a break. You're the superstar of the team. You want to defend somebody, you want the ball, you call for it. You want to defend somebody, you call for it. You don't sit there and then after you lose, say, oh, I have too much respect for coach. I don't want to say a word. And if you have so much respect for your coach, where were you when the front office came to you and said, hey, we're making a switch? Did you stand up? Did you say, no, I don't want to make that switch? Or did you say, hey, not my team? Totally up to you. Or did the Bucks not even go to Giannis? 
Lots of speculation. We went to players before we fired a manager a total of zero times. Do I think it's possible no one went to Giannis? Yes. Do I think we're in the minority? Yeah. There are owners who actually say, we're gonna talk to our players. We're gonna get input. I never understood input. No, I don't want your input. I want your play. I want your athletic acumen. I'm not saying shut up and dribble, but you're not in the front office. Just because you can play shortstop doesn't mean you can be in the front office. We are not there to play center. They are not there to tell us when it's time to make a change. But yet the front office looks at that performance by the Bucks in the Heat series and they say, yeah, we were all in. We should have beaten that team. We were championship or bust. We made our decision before the playoffs started that if we don't win the World Series, if we don't win the NBA championship, we are gonna fire our coach or manager. That is how owners can think, and it's not a good way to do it. Playing the result when you are deciding on your manager is a very common way to do it. But playing the process is how you do it right. That's why you see successful franchises without turnover, like the Golden State Warriors, like the San Antonio Spurs, like the Miami Heat. And when you look at franchises with a huge amount of turnover, you see either a lot of up and down or sustained down. So let's just say that the Bucks came to the conclusion, we're gonna do it. The next question that has come up is, should we be sensitive to anything going on in his life? The coach of the Los Angeles Lakers, who had worked as an assistant under Bud, which that's the nickname for Budenholzer. It's not Bud, it's Bud leaked out, maybe not knowing that it was not public or maybe knowing it was public or doesn't matter what the reason. We found out after the fact that Budenholzer lost his brother during the series. His brother died, a sibling. We don't know their relationship, doesn't matter. Don't write a tweet or talk about, oh, they weren't close. They hadn't seen each other in 30 years. They spoke every day, whatever, you are, wherever you are on the spectrum, when you lose a sibling, it is devastating. It is impossible to focus. I did a show, I believe the day my sister died. I believe I did a show the day of her funeral as well. And I do absolutely remember that one minute before the show, I was completely distracted but when the red light came on, I had no choice but to focus in on what we were talking about. Did the show with a heavy heart, and the minute the show ended, that 45-minute distraction was done, and it was back to the despondency that accompanies the death of a sibling. Do I think it's possible that while you're doing a show, something can come in your mind to remind you where you are? If it's a solo show like this, I don't agree. If it's an opportunity where there's other people in your co-hosting and you have a minute to get back in your head or you can get distracted and you can go back to what is going on in your personal life, I do agree. Are there moments during a game when you are coaching that you can get distracted and think about what's going on in your personal life? Yes. Are there moments players can do it? Only on the bench. When you are playing in the game, you are locked in the adrenaline is pumping, and that is an escape. 
The minute you're back on the bench, the minute it's halftime, pregame, postgame, you are back to what your reality is. That is something I did not have enough empathy for when I ran a team. I wanted people to be robotic the way I thought I was. I wanted people to focus and do their job. Did Budenholzer become less effective because of what happened to his brother? We don't, we don't know. It doesn't cause missed free throws. Whatever distractions you have, whatever coaching mistakes you have, don't make Giannis miss free throws, which was the difference in game five. But if you are running the team, there's the general manager, John Horst, there's the president, Peter Feigen. If you know you're gonna make a change, it is not necessary to hold off on making that change because you wanna be sensitive to a personal situation. And that sounds harsh. I hear it, as I say it, I hear it in my voice, but that's not in the calculus. When the front office decides they're gonna make a change, it's actually better for the person you're firing to get it done sooner rather than later, especially when it's gonna come as a surprise. And that's assuming it was a surprise. Keep in mind, there are scenarios where the front office and the manager do not get along. Theo and Joe Madden were not exactly bosom buddies. Something was going to give. We hear that a lot. You see it with GMs and coaches who do not get along. And it's great when they're winning, but the minute they don't win, a choice is gonna be made by the owner. Here's a spoiler alert, nine times out of 10, go with the GM. Is it possible that John Horst did not get along with Budenholzer? Yes. Is it possible there was something else going on? He had lost the locker room well before the Heat series. Is it possible that he had a situation where he was a bit disrespectful, didn't pay attention to the chain of command, didn't care, thought he was running everything, was trying to get involved in scouting player development? All of those things are possible. All of those things would mean that they were gonna fire the coach no matter what, even if they won a championship, it's the same as firing a coach when they're coach of the year or manager of the year. But let's assume for a moment that all that did not exist. And the reason for this firing was simply because they didn't win the title. When you have this happen, you make the change, immediately give them an opportunity to get another job, make a statement, but when you make the statement, you have to be very careful. The Bucks put out a statement. It wasn't done by Haslam. It wasn't at all. It wasn't even done by Herb Cole. I believe the president, the PR people, and the GM got together and they did a statement with these comments from the general manager of the Bucks. We are grateful for the culture of winning and leadership that Bud helped create in Milwaukee. That sounds like a statement that we write for someone we're firing who got us through a rebuild, who got us to change our culture, got us into the winning frame of mind, but now we're gonna hand it off to someone else to get us over the finish line. A championship winning coach doesn't get a statement like that. So then he had to figure out another way to say it. The decision to make this change was very difficult. Never say that in a statement. It is always assumed. You never want to say, oh, this was an easy one. He got caught drinking and driving. This was an easy one. He was terrible around the front office. It doesn't matter when we know the circumstances of the firing because it'll leak out. 
if there's a workplace harassment issue, if there's whatever the case is, we'll decide for ourselves as the audience, as the reader, whether or not it was difficult for you or easy. Don't say it. But here we go to the next one. This is an opportunity for us to refocus, word of the day alert, and re-energize our efforts as we continue building toward our next championship season. Holy guacamole. Did they sit down and wordsmith this at all? They needed to fire him to refocus and re-energize the efforts because that means that they weren't focused and they weren't energized in their effort to repeat. It means that the 4-1 loss in the first round was not because of the missed free throws or not because of the coaching, was because they didn't have enough energy. They didn't have enough focus. They didn't have focus on putting the roster together. They didn't have focus on wanting to win two championships in three years. Giannis wasn't focused. His post-game press conference certainly made it sound like he was focused. The reason I'm taking umbrage with these statements is that it's becoming a thing. Winning a championship does not mean that you have job security. This is a thing that I knew. We had a man, Jack McKean, won a championship 03, fired after 05. Why do we do that? Because we so badly want the second one after we get the first one. It's not enough. When you have zero, all you do is crave one. I'm satisfied. It'll be enough. Die, Anu. But then you spend your entire life getting the second because you want to feel that feeling again. I'm going to enjoy it more this time. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be re-energized and refocused when we win it so I can really revel in the excitement of winning. I, man, we didn't win. I guess we got to get rid of the coach. And it's not just the Bucks. Take a look at the three head coaches who have won titles in the past three or four years. Frank Vogel won with the Lakers. See you later. Nick Nurse won with the Raptors. Bye-bye. And now Mike Budenholzer. When Nurse got fired, and this was only a few weeks ago, only a few weeks ago, you know their executive. It's not John Horst. It's that guy, Masai Ujiri, the one who can write his own ticket, the one who always wanted to stay in Toronto. He said, the decision to make a change like this is never arrived at easily or taken lightly, especially when it comes to a person who has been an integral part of this franchise's most historic accomplishments and who has been a steady leader through some of our team's most challenging times. As we reflect on Nick's many successes, we thank him and his family and wish them the best in the future. Amen. That is a perfect statement. You don't talk about now we have the opportunity to really go after a championship. We couldn't do it with Nick Nurse. We got to re-energize. We got to refocus. You'd never see Masai saying that. So now the Bucks have to find a head coach. Someone's got to walk into that room and talk to Giannis, get the Giannis stamp of approval, and then explain to Giannis what a damn failure this past season was. That's what I would have liked to have seen in the statement. You want to make a statement to your players in the statement when you're firing your coach? You say, this season was a failure. We are holding people accountable because we did not expect and do not tolerate 
losing in the first round when we beat ourselves. You want to sully the heat, you sully the heat. This is hard for me to talk about because I love Milwaukee and I love the Bucks. Just keep that in mind. Disappointed. And I'm not even giving oxygen to the players out there who are saying things or to the media people. Dame Willard sent a tweet saying, folks out here firing championship coaches as soon as they don't win the chip. Damien, let's get to the point where you win the chip and then maybe we can talk about what we do after you win the chip. You have no idea what's going on, so just let it be. Let it be, let it be. You know, you fire a coach or a manager mostly because you don't wanna fire yourself and you wanna make sure the owner is focused on the reason why things went wrong. Giannis had this right, 29 out of 30 teams have to explain why they're not the one out of 30. The math is not good, not good at all, but you always wanna get the spotlight on someone else, always wanna fire somebody else. So lack of performance, lack of results, that's a reason. Then of course, you've got the other reason that coaches get fired, the Udoka firing from Boston. Coaches who were fired for off the court issues, what happened in Alabama is yet another way coaches get fired. This is the worst nightmare. Let me say it better. That's too much hyperbole. What happened to Alabama coach Brad Bohannon, who was fired by Alabama for his involvement in gambling on baseball and on his team or against his team is the second worst nightmare that all the leagues have and all the teams have. The number one nightmare is their revenue going away. The number one point A nightmare is a fight in the stands like Malice in the Palace. The number one C nightmare is some sort of world war type thing, natural disaster where you can't play or your stadium falls down. The number two nightmare is let's not do anything to screw up this gambling money. Two days ago, word came out that there was not only an investigation, but on top of that, all Ohio sports books, Ohio sports books were no longer gonna take bets on the University of Alabama baseball games. Spoiler alert, nobody bets on the University of Alabama baseball games. The total number of bets the other day on FanDuel, I think, or DraftKings, zilch. Not zero money, zero bets. This is not a highly trafficked area. There are businesses, there are integrity firms, there are overseers, not like the Jim Dolan hating liquor board overseers in New York. I'm talking about these are gambling overseers trying to make sure that there's no funny business going on that can in any way call the integrity of the on-field product into question. This is big business. This is not hiring the people to watch the players pee in a cup. This is not hiring the people to watch Max Scherzer mix rosin with alcohol and sunscreen. These are people whose job it is as important as air traffic controllers. They're looking out all over the sports books and they're looking for things that don't seem right. Well, a big bet came in on the Alabama LSU baseball game. Hmm, let's take a look at that. Cut to the next day. Announcement made by the Alabama Director of Athletics. Announcing he has initiated the termination process for head baseball coach Brad Bahannon for among other things, I always like that, it's a catch-all. 
We're going to list what he did, but we're going to say for among other things, just in case we find something else. Violating the standards, duties, and responsibilities expected of university employees. That sounds like a termination for cause language. Well done, lawyers for Alabama Director of Athletics, making sure that the statement reads exactly what it needs to read in order to not pay out Bohannon on his contract. Bohannon has been relieved of all duties. There will be no further comment at this time pending an ongoing review. Well, it wasn't 24 hours before word leaked out of some of the results of an ongoing review. How about this? Surveillance video at Cincinnati Reds, the great American ballpark, a whole nother topic, which is the sports books in these facilities in DC, in Chicago, in Cincinnati. Sports books are gonna be inside stadiums. What's the big deal? In the EPL, I can get a hot dog and a bet. Forget hot dog and a beer. I'm getting a hot dog and a bet. It's not ideal. I actually was shaken by the ability to stand on two different concession lines all before the game started and at halftime. Great American Ballpark has a sports book. In comes somebody. Sportsbook surveillance video reportedly is saying that there's a person who placed bets and that person was communicating with Bohannon at the time he was placing bets. Uh-oh. Do you think he was calling him up to say, I just want to make sure that our kids are having that play date to play Legos on Saturday at noon. Are we on? Hey, Brad, it's me. Just want to make sure we're good that we're going to go to dinner and a movie. Hold on. I'm placing a bet. Now, it's against your team, but shh, not telling anybody. He was talking to the coach of the team, and he bet against LSU, the team who beat Alabama. Does that mean Brad Bohannon was aware that there was someone placing a bet against his team and did something to cause his team to lose, like not start the pitcher who was going to start and start a sophomore who hadn't started, and the team loses 8-6? to six? Is it possible that that happened? I am not telling you it did, because I wasn't there. But if that's what they discover, game, set, match. Brad Bohannon's career is done. You don't even have to talk about that. The result of that should be that there are no bets allowed in any ballpark on behalf of or against any team playing in that ballpark. Now, of course, the bet was placed in Ohio for a game that was Alabama-LSU. How do we protect against that? Here's how. Any bet that is seen as one to two standard deviations away from the regular action seen for a particular game in a particular sport, not just closes down wagering on the sport, it actually forces a forfeit for the team who was bet on. David, you're out of your mind. This can't be your take. Too harsh, not even close. Not even close to too harsh. The entire business that was my life for 18 years is set on rebar of integrity. If you do anything to chip that away, the sea can wash it away. And then what do we do? Then what do we talk about? Reminds me of the end of the movie Ed TV 
with Ellen DeGeneres and Matthew McConaughey. Everybody was watching the show and all of a sudden the show ends and the movie ends with everyone who was watching the show saying, all right, on to the next. That's how easy it is for fans or for customers to break away from a habit they've had, to break away from something they loved and to get distracted and to focus, to refocus on something else. It's that easy to do. And when that's the case, you can't screw around. This Alabama story is not about Brad Bohannon. He's done. This Alabama story is about what we do next. What will the industry do next? What will the regulators do next? Because if this happens again and again and again, I guess we'll just have to review movies. All right, Coca, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to review a movie that was difficult to watch, and then we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson because, God, did I love his press conference. We'll be right back. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the super light tree runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com code SUPER24. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's Friday, May 5th. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca coming to you every day. 45 minutes live on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Please watch us live. It's fun. And then on top of that, if you don't mind, rate, review, download, and tell your friends to do the same. Because why not? One of these days, Coca, I want you to tell me about whether or not there's live chats that go on during this. And maybe during the live show, I could talk to somebody. I don't know if they can be on the air or we can have a conversation during the show. I don't ever see any comments because my, my screen is blank on that, but I would love to do that. So if you're doing this live, I hope you're interacting both with each other and with Coca because it's not like he doesn't have 20 other things to do. When I need something from Coca and I don't get it, I only assume that he's either watching a show in the bathroom or interacting with those people who are live with me right now. All right, I watched a movie not the perfect movie to watch by any stretch. Hugh Jackman, I thought would be nominated for an Academy Award. He was rumored to have been in the running for a nomination, did not get nominated. He was in a movie called The Sun. And when he wasn't nominated, I didn't watch it until after the Academy Awards were over. I watched this movie recently and I did not know what it was about, which tracks because I don't focus. I don't read the reviews. I don't watch the trailers. I look for names. I look for some ratings sometimes in IMDb or just what's new. Or if it's an actor who I'll watch, Hugh Jackman. It's hard not to watch a movie he's in. Though I admit I've never seen Wolverine. But I really love The Greatest Showman. The Sun, I thought, was about him as a father and his son. It turns out the movie's actually about him as the son of Anthony Hopkins way more than him as the father 
of a very troubled child. I, of course, was way more focused, not in the relationship with the dad, played brilliantly by Anthony Hopkins, but way more focused on the relationship with the son, trying to get maybe insight into how to be a better father or whether I was a good enough son, both of which I pretty much was not great at either one, but it's never too late. I mean, it is too late for me to be a good son because I don't have a father anymore. But I can certainly be a better father. The movie's heartbreaking. The movie made me want to call my son and apologize and see whether he was okay. And then realize that whatever answer he gives me is him based on wanting to get off the phone with me, which is totally normal of what kids want to do when they're speaking to their parents. The whole circle of life thing is part of the movie, The Sun, and it's hard to watch, but it is on point. It tracks and it's tragedy. It's never too late. I've told you on this show several times. I'll say it again. If you have the opportunity to actually call your father, do it. If you have the opportunity to call your son, do it. Just do it, please. Matthew Coca likes the Ravens. Is that news? Is that, a, is that like a thing? I think people know that, don't they? Lamar Jackson, best player on the Ravens, maybe the best quarterback. Where is he? Is he in your top five, Coca? Where, because you're a fan of the Ravens, do you put him as number two behind Mahomes? Or with the injuries, do you put him behind Burrow? I'm just curious where you would rank Lamar Jackson. You have him in your top five? Fair enough. Coca's given me his top five. He's got Mahomes and Burrow as I suspected he would. And then he puts Allen three and not Lamar. My guess is he then would put Lamar four, which he does. And it doesn't matter who his fifth is, but somebody's his fifth. Lamar is the guy who we had so much content on because he was the non-exclusive franchise tag. He could have gotten an offer sheet, didn't get an offer sheet, demanded a trade, didn't get traded, wasn't going to get a deal, then got a deal, then got the biggest deal, but it wasn't the biggest deal, but it's the most money ever if he gets it all, but not the most guaranteed, wasn't guaranteed upon signing. All of those things are true. He met the media for the first time yesterday and he didn't talk. It was just his agent speaking for him. He just sat there totally quietly, very, very quiet. Not, he had no agent. Scott Boris wasn't sitting next to him. He sat there alone and spoke to the media and I loved it. What I didn't love was him making me feel so badly because on behalf of all of you, the fans, I felt as though that he put one over on you. When he made that trade request, how many of you thought, you know what, good for you, Lamar, the Ravens don't deserve you? Or did you think, man, that upsets me just because he didn't get all of his Deshaun Watson money that he doesn't want to be a Raven? How about the loyalty? Show the love to our fan base. Show the love to our community. That was very sad. Then he signed and we were all very happy. We knew it. You loved us. But why did he have to say it that way? He actually said he didn't really care about getting a franchise, an offer from any other franchise. He wanted to be a Raven. He wanted to be there, period. And my first question was, 
then why did you request a trade? Publicly. What's the benefit? Do you think that that was gonna pressure the Ravens into signing you? Was that your plan with your lawyer or your non-agent? If you wanted to be traded, all you had to do was meet with the team, have them want you, and then have them give you the offer sheet. If the Ravens match it, they match it and you get your money. But otherwise you get to go to the team that you wanted to go to. And if the Ravens do match the offer sheet, you get to say, hey, thank you for wanting me like this. I wish it had happened earlier, but what ends well, ends well. And I look forward to bringing a championship to Baltimore. I love you, Baltimore. If you don't get an offer sheet and you end up signing a long-term deal, which is exactly what happened here, I believe what Lamar should have said to the media is, it was definitely a process, but things happen for a reason when they happen. And I was always confident that I would be a Baltimore Raven. Was I frustrated? Yes. Were there moments of doubt? That's normal, isn't it? When you're negotiating and you don't know whether or not it was gonna actually happen. Of course there were moments of doubt, but at the end, the result is what I care about. And the result is that I'm a Raven. And the result is that I'm gonna help the Ravens win a championship. I would have liked that better. But what if Lamar was advised that he wanted to make it public that the reason he didn't get offer sheets is that he made it clear to the other 29 teams through his lawyer and non-agent that he wasn't going to sign an offer sheet because he wasn't going to leave the Ravens. But he didn't want anyone to know for fear that it would decrease his leverage. Maybe Lamar Jackson was playing chess while the entire media was playing checkers. And if that's the case, then let that continue to be the view by not telling us after the fact that you were never gonna leave, that you didn't even want it. Isn't that the same thing as when you don't get asked to the prom and then you say, I didn't wanna go to the prom anyway? When you don't get something that you really want and then your defense mechanism to be cool or to not feel like a failure is to convince yourself you never wanted it. I'm the opposite. When I don't get something that I really wanted, I double down on how much I wanted it so I can feel that failure and recognize that feeling as something I don't want again. I don't rationalize it away. How do you grow from that? How do you improve your behavior? How do you improve the likelihood of success when the next situation comes if according to your own internal regulator, everything went exactly as the way you wanted it. I don't buy into it at all. I like failure. I like acknowledging failure. I like to fail because it means success is just around the corner. We had the Warriors six over the Lakers. How'd that work? I think they won by 27. Attention Kmart shoppers. For those 
thinking that Clay Thompson was finished. How do you feel about eight for 11 from three? For those thinking that Anthony Davis needed to support LeBron, and that's what got the Lakers over the hump in game one, where are you now saying that Steph Curry needs Clay and Clay got Steph over the hump in game two? It made me and Coca laugh in the pre-show. The reason I like the Warriors six over the Lakers is when a team loses game one at home, the odds are really good that they're going to cover and win in game two at home. Winning two in a row on the road is hard unless you're the Florida Panthers. Other than that, you're going to have a problem. Lakers go back to LA tied at one and satisfied. This goes back to the instinct when you win game one the way the Heat did, when you win game one the way the Sixers did, when you win game one the way the Lakers did, you got to try to squeeze out game two because don't be satisfied. I view going home with the split after winning game one as a failure, not a success. I view winning game two after losing game one and going home with the split as a success, not a failure. Everything has to have a frame of reference. If you look at everything through the same prism, you will have no way to win on the court or off the court. You have to look at things given the circumstances and be willing to change the way you look at them if the circumstances change. Going into a two-game series, you want to get a split of the first two. But if you get the first one, screw it. I don't want to split anymore. Warriors, minus six over Lakers is a win. Can you believe the Red Sox swept the Blue Jays? Attention, Will Middlebrooks. You were right. I was wrong. I said the Red Sox would be good, I think. I just didn't think they'd be good enough to make the playoffs. I think it's possible that every team in the AL East is going to make the playoffs. Wait, does the math work? Can there be a division winner in the in the AL East? Let's say that the Blue Jays win the division. Then you've got the Yankees, the Orioles, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. Uh-oh. No, I said Blue Jays twice. Blue Jays, Orioles, Red Sox, Yankees. Am I missing a team, Coca? It's Friday. We've got eight minutes left. I'm totally blanking. Raise! <laughs> All right, start that again. It's, it's a good topic. Here we go. Can every team in the AL East make the playoffs because they're that good? You got the Rays winning the division. Then you've got the Orioles, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays. That's four. Uh-oh. Only three can make it. There's three wild cards. You could have a division with four playoff teams, all the wild cards, and still have a team over 500 not make the playoffs because now it's a balanced schedule. They don't play each other. They don't knock each other off all season long. That's a big thing when you're playing 25 to 30 fewer games in division. One of those teams is not going to make the playoffs by definition, and I still think it's the Red Sox. There's no way they should have swept the Blue Jays, but they did and we lost. All right, we're 68 and 67. We're gonna take a game today. We're gonna take the Sixers plus two over the Celtics. Why are we doing that? Yeah, that is the reason. Thank you, I had forgotten. Embiid is playing just like he did in game two, feeling way better. When I look at the Sixers Celtics series, if Harden can get closer to game one with Embiid on the floor, 
Maxi can get closer to game two with Embiid and Harden on the floor. I think you got yourself a Sixers victory. Saturday. God, do I wish I were still in Miami. I was supposed to go to that game. The Heat are playing the Knicks. They're favored by a field goal. Jimmy Butler's had ankle work. You're seeing video released all the time. He's prepping. He's working on it. Heat three over the Knicks. Knicks on the road are a very good team. That line is smaller than it should be. It may even come down, but I'm going to take it at three. Heat three over the Knicks. Okay. I want to finish this week with something that came out yesterday. There's been a lot of talk about the Oakland A's. A lot of talk about the fact that there are 2,300 people in the ballpark. A lot of talk about them moving to Vegas. A lot of talk about MLB expansion. Everywhere you look, there's a talk about which city is going to get it. I've told you there's going to be a West. There's going to be an East. And they're going to 32 once Oakland and Tampa are taken care of. I guarantee it. It's been worked on for a decade. Yesterday, Pat Williams, one of the original great executives in sports. Pat Williams, one of the great men off the, for, off the court as well. He's the one who started the Orlando Magic. He's an Orlando guy. He came out and said, we want a baseball team in Orlando and we've got ourselves a plan for a deal. And the plan for the deal is a $1.7 billion plan. Shockingly, there's ancillary development, hotels, retail. Shockingly, there's public money, like almost a billion dollars of tourist taxes. I get the tourist taxes. That's what we use to build Marlins Park. Tourist taxes work. There's a lot of them in Florida. Do you think that Pat Williams went public about Orlando being a possible expansion city? and baseball had no idea he was gonna do it. I'm just throwing it out there. Do you think he's rogue? Think baseball called him up and said, I don't think you should do it. Baseball's known about Pat Williams and the possibility of Orlando for a long time. It's been years, as a matter of fact. He's been talking about trying to get baseball there, but now it comes back up again He's talking about the fact that he wanted expansion in Orlando, which he did, went to Tampa and Miami instead. He recognizes that Tampa has a problem. He recognizes that Miami has a problem. What he also recognizes is that when Tampa gets a stadium deal done, expansion will not happen in Orlando because that's Tampa's market. And it matters whether they draw from Orlando or not, the perception or the ability to draw group sales or season ticket holders, or simply to have it as your territory, all of that matters. You are not putting a third team in Florida. If the Tampa Bay Rays move, which they're not, baseball is not going to expand back into the state where they would acknowledge today has been the greatest failure in the expansion era of Major League Baseball, putting teams in Miami and Tampa. I am... I will take my responsibility for my role in the failure of Miami, but certainly not in the failure of Tampa. And I certainly will not take sole responsibility for the problems in Florida. They existed long before I got there. They've existed long after I left. Tampa, the problems existed long before Stu Sternberg got there. 
and they'll exist long after he leaves, even in a new building, which MLB secretly knows, but they don't talk about. The new stadium in St. Petersburg has a chance to be exactly the way Marlins Park is in Miami. And the Rays are a great product on the field. Way more consistently than the Marlins ever have been. And still, there's a problem. All of that said, why would MLB be interested in Orlando poking its head up like a turtle again? Because once Tampa and Oakland are taken care of, if Oakland has to move to Vegas, that's one expansion city off the board. However, Vegas is not competing with Orlando or Nashville or Montreal or Charlotte because Vegas is West and those are East. Orlando is competing with Nashville and Charlotte and Montreal. It is not West versus East, it's West versus West and East versus East because the expansion teams will be one to the West and one to the East. What baseball really needs, and I don't know why it's not happening, they need to find another city West to say, we're ready. We got a deal ready to go. Because if Oakland stays in Oakland because Vegas can't get the financing done, which by the way, there are rumors they can't get the financing done that everybody thought was a fait accompli. That's a problem as it relates to expanding in Vegas. Forget relocating to Vegas. Without state and local funding, you cannot even expand. And if you take Vegas out of the expansion calculus, all of a sudden, that's another piece of the competition gone. What is happening now is a concerted effort by the commissioner's office, correctly so, brilliantly so, to make sure that there are as many competitors as possible because the fee for expansion is a critical revenue stream for the owners, and that's critical to the revenue stream of the commissioner. So when you're reading things about different cities or you're reading comparisons or you're reading people who are leading efforts or giving quotes, just remember there's more to it, but generally it's just business. Have a good weekend. This is nothing personal. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.